0: This is Daniel, and this is Krebs. This is Alton, and I am Mattai. And you're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio, the greatest geek podcast out there. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where we are here to talk about Krebs' favorite movie. That's right, we have traveled another year into the future to be here at Fanex so that Krebs can finally talk about this movie in front of a live audience. He's been talking about this the entire time he's been on the show. So this is, what, five years in the making?
1: Uh, something like that, yeah. I think, I think this is actually the end of, of
2: my fourth year. I think I'm going four years. Okay, four years, four years in yeah. the making.
0: So yes. make it make and, it worth his while.
2: And almost every year on the anniversary, there was a Kroll-themed Dungeon Crawler's Radio episode. Because of him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Kroll is one of those films that
1: I am magnificently passionate about, and I'm sitting next to a gentleman that I've only just met and I'm pretty sure he and I would playfully rival each other for number one fan. John T. Steiner, everybody. Yes. Author and, and uh, accomplished expertise on a number of things geekery. Right. Next to him is my older brother, Mattai. Hello, everybody. And of course, our showrunner and creator, Daniel Swenson.
0: Yep, and author. And author, and author. Published yeah. author, yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, Daniel, I wrote a book once. You did? What was you it? Did. It was about reverse psychology.
0: Really? Please don't buy it. <laughs> so
1: in 1983, <laughs> let me tell you a story. In 1983, there was a very, very special film. Yeah, it's called
0: launched. Return of the Jedi. It's my favorite movie.
1: That's right. That was in <laughs> Maine. And then, and then after that, there was a different sci-fi fantasy film called Kroll, which maybe you remember the prince because he had epic hair. Oh, yeah. Maybe you remember the princess. And he had really
0: tight tights.
1: Yeah, Oh yeah, well, they weren't tight so much, they were just tight pants. Anyway, which yeah, tights? you're right, you're <laughs> right. Um, it, the, he, but, and then David Bowie did it better. But Yes. Uh, and then you might remember the princess because she had epic hair. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And she was gorgeous. Uh, but possibly the most memorable thing about the movie Kroll would be its iconic weapon. Uh, all the way in the back, <laughs> yes, all the way in the or, back. Or yeah. two
3: of them. That is the power of love.
1: Oh, th- yeah, that's true, yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Uh, if only Huey Lewis had done the soundtrack for this film. Oh, yeah. Why
3: didn't
0: I prep that? That would have been awesome. I was
3: thinking about that on the way here. I'm like, I'm going to mention Huey Lewis, and I'm going to see how many people actually know that <laughs> band name. <laughs>
1: Anyone over the age of 38. All right, so, interestingly enough, though, We here at DCR used our influence and our connections this year, this year, 2023, on July 29th was the 40th anniversary of Kroll, day and date of its release in the U.S. Leading up to that, I reached out a little bit and I got a chance to speak with one of the original cast members who decided to help us in our charity. We did this for a fundraiser for a charity event, and he decided to help us with our event just a little bit, and it was awesome. (laughs)
3: I hadn't rewatched it in a long time. So I rewatched it and I came away with a couple of different opinions. One, if any movie ever deserved a remake, it's Crawl. That
1: was author Mike Haskell, by the way. This film, like, all three of us love it. And the question becomes, okay, why do we still love it so much today?
2: able to go and like i was saying before peel away the layers and so it it remains freshly loved in our hearts
0: that is the third Krebs, by the way that's my sister
1: our sister
4: yes Krull was my first sci-fi fantasy film
0: i have a cinnamon bar
4: Share and share alike, I am Ergo the Magnificent. Short in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose and wide of vision.
0: That is very impressive.
4: I should hope so.
0: I'm Titch.
4: That's not impressive, but adequate, adequate. Nothing that I'd done before or have done since quite comes close to the uh, theme and epic scale of production of Crump. The production shoot took about six months, all in all. That was from the beginning, um, everything that we shot at Pinewood, and then the location shooting in Italy towards the um, final stages. I obviously wasn't in every day for six months depending on what was being shot, Um, but the span of time took six months.
3: Um, David here, um, he was supposed to change into a tiger because he's got all his magic with him. He changes into a tiger to frighten the slayers away. It was supposed to be hurt, and I had to have the um, the tiger's head on my lap, and so that was that was a big experience. I won't leave you, Aga. He was a really lovely animal. He was so um, when I saw him, he's so soft.
0: He was like a just well, what he is, a big pussy cat.
4: Here's one you might not know. In an earlier draft of the screenplay, Titch didn't make it through the quest Over
5: there!
4: As it turned out, of course, he was one of those few survivors to witness the demise of the Black Fortress. You're his queen?
0: Yes. Then we won. Yes. (laughs) Oh, boy.
4: At the time of shooting Kroll, it was a fantastic thing to have been part of. It was just incredibly amazing to me every day. I was interested in everything, how this whole uh, production was being put together. It was just brilliant.
3: Down to find out.
4: We've concentrated not on
0: recreating the past or even trying to dream up what people may be wearing in hundreds of years' time, but in designing the picture, Stephen Grimes has tried to create a feeling of storybook, a feeling of fantasy, a feeling of escape.
4: What it means now is um, a sense of belonging to something quite unique and re- remarkable. And I feel lucky and blessed to to be part of its legacy.
0: That. So, author Mike Aspel, that was on there, yes, just sent me a message. What? Warner Brothers has just greenlit the reboot of 1983 Crawl with J.J. No! Abrams at the helm. Yes! News broken. Yeah, it just hit five hours ago.
1: Okay, so there's a problem a, here.
2: You heard it here on Dungeon Crawler's radio first. <laughs> <laughs>
1: In about a week or two. Um, yeah. See, yep. here's the thing. I've act- Okay, see, I predicted this was coming. I've been trying to like get certain things in terms of the fandom going because it is my personal goal to be a consultant on that project. Now I'm behind the ball. I'm gonna, ha- I'm gonna need your help. We're gonna get this done. I'm gonna make sure it gets done right. Just so you guys know.
2: <laughs> yeah, can anyone airdrop us, JJ Abrams phone number, you know, anyone in the audience? Yeah,
1: I lost mine. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, so I'm gonna obviously ask my panelists this as well, but I wanna know from the crowd. How many of you, I mean, if you're here, you've seen the movie. Is that correct? Has anyone, has everyone, has anyone not seen the movie in this room? Oh, one, ah, two, peo- two supporters. Awesome. Who thinks they know the movie best? I mean, of course him, right? <laughs> oh, oh, it's a little bit like that. Okay, cool. Uh, author and, and uh, expert on all things geek, John T. Steiner, can you give a 30-second
3: rundown? So World of High Fantasy... And yet, invaded by creatures from space I've never seen a mashup like that before to that
1: time. no one had no one had and there's a funny story behind that uh, yeah but that's pretty accurate, right uh, Princess gets kidnapped sounds very tropish. We might have a moment to talk about why it's not
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Prince has to is led by a wise man on a hero's journey the to guardian. recruit friends
0: the guardian character the guardian
1: right. right to to recruit friends along the way to uh, mount an impossible mission, save the princess, destroy the evil, right? Kind of d and party-ish, but the numbers are larger. Yes. Yes. And
2: don't forget the magic weapon.
1: Don't forget the magic weapon. Oh, right. uh, so, so really quick, uh, for the panelists here up with me, when was the first time that you saw Kroll? Do you remember?
3: Uh, I think I saw it on cable like a year or two after it was in the theaters. Uh, and I was just fascinated by the weapon because it was like everyone has done like the magic sword of the quest here was something not even remotely close to that. I'm like, I'm already intrigued. I know, it wasn't one sword, it was five daggers
1: on a starfish in fire. (laughs) So like, the moment you say that, already, first of all, SpongeBob really likes this premise. Second, (laughs) you're absolutely right, this was a completely unique weapon. Completely unique weapon. Did you have a comment, or? (laughs) Oh yeah, please, grab the 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 microphone. Yes, yes, audience participation!
5: Is it on? It is. So one of the coolest things about the weapon is that it actually is controlled by his will, his mind, I'm not sure. But it's controlled by the hero in many ways. And he becomes like, it becomes a character as much as any of the characters. And even though it never talks it never communicates really in any way. It doesn't like have writing or anything like that that would mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm a character.
3: Yeah, near the end, there is a sense of will to the weapon. Mm-hmm. It, I,
5: like, I almost teared up when he had oh, to yeah. lose it. It was amazing. Spoilers. Uh, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie. Mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> It's amazing, that this, this thing that seems to be just a lump of metal that, yes, he has to go on a quest to find, and it's called the wrong name. Right. Hugely, yeah. in his for historical right, right. purposes, but yes. it's a very wonderful thing that they can be able to put so much, uh, you know, passion, pathos into this one, this thing that doesn't talk, doesn't have any way to be a creature, but it is definitely a creature. It I feel,
3: it, I feel, it has the spirit of a very loyal dog. Right,
5: I right.
0: Would, I would say a horse. It goes to like that scene with Atreyu and, uh, you know. Artex. Oh, Artex. Yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. We don't. <laughs> we don't need to increase our depression yes. levels
1: just
2: yet. Uh, <laughs> no,
1: Mattai, Mattai, when yeah. was the first time that you saw Kroll?
2: Oh well, I was with you, Josh. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> we both have an alibi. Well, well, wait, before you
0: answer that question, what was the movie you watched before Kroll? Oh, Strange my God. Brew, the McKenzie
2: Brothers. <laughs>
1: Yes, in 1983, our divorcee mother took us and our sister to a double feature, a lost art, if you ask me, and we watched Strange Brew before we watched Kroll. I slept, I was four and a half, I slept through half of Strange Brew, I watched all of Kroll. But we have another audience comment!
0: Yes. Uh, When I first saw the movie when I was seven, eight, the thing that stuck with me the most was the beginning, one of the early scenes between... Him and his princess and how that, take the fire from my hand, oh my gosh, ended up yes. saving the day at towards the end. So yes. I just, you can't forget the take
3: right, the fire right. from my hand. It's That's us
0: he can't defeat. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. The fire right. that comes out of the water. I get That's fire so to water. It will not return
1: me. to me except by the hand. that there, I
0: There's, there's the some miscarriage behind brain. that. Oh, I know there is, but it was just, it was so, so as a kid, because I saw it when I was almost seven. And it just was so confusing because I'm like, fire doesn't come out of water. Fire gets extinguished by water. How is this possible?
1: You've obviously never been to the world of Kroll.
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> Which, by the way, is the name one. of the planet. Not the kingdom, not the person, not the weapon. Or even 7th
3: yeah. century uh, Eastern Empire. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, that too. That yeah. too. A lot of people will get Kroll confused with Kroll the Conqueror. No. With uh, Kevin Sorbo. Not no. the same. No.
0: But it would have d- been interesting to see Kevin Sorbo in this role. <laughs>
1: right? And uh, Kroll well, has... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mattalia. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: so speaking of the world, one of the things I liked about this movie so much was that there was a great deal of world building. There was a mm-hmm. great deal of possibility yes. in there. We mentioned the glaive a moment ago. The glaive had been to the planet before because it was a symbol and a major part of their religion. But it had like Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time, my favorite. Um, (laughs) It had uh, faded into myth over time. So from Colwyn's perspective and everybody else, if you watch the movie, you'll see glaive symbols everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last time we watched it, we counted and I think we actually, we, we tried to count, we lost count uh, in the way, but it's, it's everywhere, including in the b- bottom of the water basin, if mm. you're paying attention to that during the wedding scene. But anyway, so to actually find the glaive is a real object, remember, nobody but Yanir, the old one, believed that it was real. Mm. Everybody else thought it was just a symbol, right? And so, it's, so think about this for a minute. For the people of the planet of Kroll, this was a religious symbol come to life. So it not only had... Will behind it. It was not only a character in and of itself, it was in some sense the embodiment of the will of the people.
3: Absolutely. Now I'm visualizing the Ark of the Covenant being thrown out and spinning (laughs) around, smashing into people, and then coming back to the guy's hand.
1: You all thought that those rays of light from the Ark of the Covenant were just like the glory of God in lightsaber form, but no, secretly there was a glaive in each one. Right.
0: (laughs) so much more sense
1: now it really does they weren't melting they were just being defenestrated like in real time and, you and know? this
3: and this movie is such a f- it foretells our current time because it is the first draft of the hellfire missile r9x <laughs> <laughs> we reinvented man's first modern weapon the sword <laughs> that is phenomenal
1: now um 19 uh, it, it's been 40 years and over those 40 years if you do a little bit of research, a lot of information about what it took to make this film in the first place comes to light. And interestingly, it's one of those films that if, it leave, when you find out more about its history, you, you, it leaves you asking, how did this ever happen? How did this, ha-? it's not like one of those like, it's not like you look at basketball and you say, how did this movie ever get made?
0: Right.
1: It's more like you hear the obstacles that they face and you're like, how did this movie ever get made? And it's like that. Right? Uh, for example, Kroll's original title was not Kroll, it was The Dragons of Kroll. At this time, remember they they're filming in 81, they're in post-82, they re- release in summer of 83. At this time, Sword and Sorcery is going bananas, you know, Beastmaster, Dragon Slayer. Uh, your hunter of the future, uh, mm-hmm. Ator, the fighting eagle. I mean, there, there, there is a uh, there's a saturation that occurs. Do you, so do you remember that period you made of time? Those
3: references.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly
3: don't think Kroll would have had any problem com- uh, competing with uh, Yor. Honestly, even as a kid, I thought. That I have was a funny weird. story about that. We'll get back to that in a second. <laughs> uh, but, but uh,
1: this film, you know, they, they wanted to cash. They wanted to tell a new story, and. And they wrote this script called The Dragons of Kroll. I have, I have a reprint, reprint of the third edition of this script. It is exactly what you would expect. It's two kingdoms, very Romeo and Juliet in a lot of ways. The Slayers are just black knights with T-slit helmets. There are no special creatures, nothing like that at all. Interestingly though, this is my favorite thing about this fact. It's called The Dragons of Kroll. The movie has no dragons anywhere in the script. It anywhere, at any time, never dragons. Uh, I guess they were going for metaphor. I don't know.
0: I, it would make sense why they're called slayers then.
1: Yeah, right, if right, because they're dragons. not very dragon-esque. Uh, but then one, uh, one day in the writer's circle, the, you know, the, the script wasn't working. They weren't really happy with it. They were having some complications trying to get this thing off the ground, and then someone, that, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, Ridley Scott's alien happened. Mm. And they're like, wait a minute. What if Kroll is not the name of the kingdom? what if Kroll's the name of the planet? And they're like, oh, an Earth-like planet stuck in medieval times? I kind of like it. Okay. And, 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 what if the enemies weren't knights? They were aliens. And from there, the movie took off. And that's where we get the "Crawl" that we have today, in a very, very short version. Um, the Slayers that you see on screen with the really cool pod ejection, effect and all that stuff that was designed in 10 days because they already had an effects artist like a crew a team that was building the slayers they brought in this specialist who had just finished his work on return of the jedi came over to work on on uh, on kroll and uh he went and saw what they were doing and he hated everything about it but he was working on the widow of the web he was working on the beast he actually did build the beast and it's incredibly art it's If you find this video on YouTube, you can see just how incredible this suit is that you get to see three seconds of. Um, He built the the Changeling for the Seer. He built all these special effects and he didn't have time to do the Slayers. They got to the point where they had to keep shooting and they had to shoot something and they didn't have Slayers. So he got his team together, two 12-hour shifts for 10 days straight and they built 40 suits, they made stop-motion maquettes, and they made the Slayers in 10 days. Wow. Uh, the, and the effects artist, Nick Maley, hates them. <laughs> so I'm a bit passionate about this topic. I have dominated the air. I have some wonderful people to my left. Um, on a scale of like zero to all of your favorite sci-fi movies, where does Kroll rank for you?
3: I gotta think. I mean, it's it's uh, even then. I think it was like the upper ninety percentile. And I think it's still hovering around like eighty-five, just for its uniqueness.
2: Absolutely, 80, I like how you chose eighty-five, uh, <laughs> Matthew. You know, I there's eighty sci-fi is its own genre. All right, Uh, there's a lot of movies that came out uh, recently that I'm a big, big fan of, but I also am a child of the 80s, -hmm. and of all the sci-fi movies then, this one ranks right up there with Star Wars, and Mm -hmm. the whole trilogy up there for me.
0: All right, so I'm just going to eject my favorite off the list, so this has a fair ranking, because everyone that's ever listened to the show knows I'm a huge Star Wars nut. In fact, I bought another lightsaber. At this convention convention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I now have thirteen. I may have a problem. Thirteen uh, is a good number. Right, right. We you love know, time reference. Go I on. Know. So uh, I'm going to say eighty-three.
1: Eighty-three <laughs> is a great score. It's I a know it just score. works.
0: It, for some reason, on a scale it works. of zero to eighty-three. Yeah. How do you <laughs> <laughs> uh No, it, it's a great film. It has number. all it of the down. story elements. It hits every beat correctly in you know the hero's journey. We mm. have it. I mean. You can't go wrong with a Liam Neeson. I mean, he's in this movie, a young Liam Neeson. Robbie Coltrane is in this movie, you know, Hagrid. Uh, There's just a lot of great things, Um, but the really enjoyable part about the movie, why it still holds a really high score, is because there's memorable moments, a great soundtrack, and even though it came out at a really bad time following Return of the Jedi, There are still fans out there that love it. I mean, obviously, 40 years later, he's still talking about it. Um, But there's so many other fans that love this film because of those things. You know, even speaking with Graham like we did, there were so many really cool things that they did that we didn't, he had a tiger on his head and he was a a kid. He had tiger's head on his lap, just to be clear. Okay, yeah, his lap, sorry. And the the tiger was stoned. He did let us know the tiger was stoned. Super high. But it was really cool that the things they were able to incorporate into that film where you could, even though it was in space, mm-hmm. there were aliens, you could still relate to the movie. Mm-hmm. And you could, yeah. be, you could imagine yourself in that story.
1: So for all of you out here in the audience, let's keep this very, very simple. We have, a score, we have a scale of 0 to 10. For you personally, and you don't have to agree with us, where on the scale of 0 to 10 does Kroll fall for you? I see nines. I see a six. I see a, five, I see an eight. Ten, ten. Ten. I see eight. I see, eight. Eight. Two twenty. No. Ten. Ten. Two twenty. That's a that's wow. a nineties joke. Nice. I, mean, I like it. I most of them are five or above. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that. I'd say an average of at least eight,
0: something
1: yeah. like that. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Um, no, I'm, no, I'm no. the
0: we'll same way. We'll say <laughs> eight
1: point three. Eight point three. I like <laughs> that. I'm the same way. Obviously, uh, my my older brother, my older sister, and I especially in recent years, like the last two to three years. Um, And this kind of started off about 10 years ago, but we started, like we've always enjoyed Kroll. We've always watched Kroll, I don't know, if not annually, then biannually, you know, just every couple years or so. But um, about 10 years ago with a buddy of mine, I started asking questions started saying things like, you know, in the very beginning of the movie, Yanir says, this it was given me to know. So let's talk about that for a second. What gave him to know? Where did that come from? How did he have this knowledge? Mm. And then he knew where the glaive was, and he knew that it was an ancient and powerful weapon. It was once a powerful weapon. And as Matthew pointed out, it had been on the planet so long that people stopped believing it was real, but it was part of their iconography, right? Even Colman says, it's just nothing but an ancient symbol, Right, and it's obviously part of their like religious view or something like that. It's it's symbolic for them. They didn't know it was real anymore, but Yanir knew it was there and knew where it was located, and he knew to some degree that Colwyn could do it or you know might die. I sometimes wonder how many princes he took up to that mountain, like so many Jafars to the Cave of Wonders, <laughs> just like oh, I need someone with the strong legs and a firm back to get up there and get that glaive, and if you don't come back with it, you won't come back at all. Thanks. See ya. Bye.
3: You know. Uh, and I then Coleman's like, reference. now I'm imagining that was like a newscaster reporting on it. And he's up on the volcano, and oh, <laughs> fell into the lava. Oh, no. That will affect his
1: score. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, now the second one's up.
0: He's reaching in. Oh, Anakin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that guy needs a hand. Um, all right. So, so uh, if you start asking questions about some of the things that they talked about in the movie or that they revealed, it it becomes evident, especially if you care for the film that there are so many hooks and story opportunities such that my siblings and I, we took some road trips and we started recording audio every time we talked about this. We have approximately 10 and a half, 11 hours of us just theorizing what things in the movie mean and what the backstories look like and where this thing could go and what sequels would be like. And, but mostly just talking about like what happened in the movie. What is this, right? Um,
2: so again, ahead. if you guys know J.J. Abrams, we've got the script written for him. Just give him a call. We got it. <laughs> this is sort of the whole point, right? And uh, I'm going to come back to like,
1: Oh, oh! There we go. I, uh, I do want to share one fan theory with you, and if you've listened to the podcast, it's one you've heard before. I get that, but I think that if you haven't seen the movie in a long time, or if you've never seen it, and you hold this fan theory in your mind while you're watching it, it adds this beautiful history and a tragic love story backstory into it. That while it's hinted at in the film, this fan theory I think gives it gravitas and gives it substance. So moving on. Well, oh, look, we're talking about Krull. Um, <laughs> if you could be any one character in the movie, if you could experience one character's journey in this movie, who would it be?
3: Ergo the Magnificent. woo hoo hoo Because you like to be a beagle. Right. It's like, tall in power, short in stature, narrow of purpose, and wide of vision. And he does not travel with thieves and beggars' good day. Peasants and beggars' good day. Oh, was it peasants? Peas, yeah. Been a while. I do not travel with peasants
1: and beggars. Goodbye. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I imagine business in that direction. Oh yeah, what business is that? <laughs> staying alive. Yes, <Yeah>, staying <laughs> alive,
3: staying alive.
1: And um, we all uh, let's let's do the character thing really quick. So you would be Ergo, mm-hmm. and 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 why Ergo? Like what appeals to you about Ergo? Um,
3: well, it's funny because he's sort of like Smedrick the magician in The Last Unicorn. <sighs> Great reference. Lots of power but kind of bumbling. And he's still fumbling his way through, but he still achieves things by accident, which is awesome. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, Did you know that in the original casting for Kroll, actually when they wrote wrote the script and what would eventually become the book, Ergo was supposed to be a little person, like Billy Barty, very famous little person actor.
2: He was supposed to be Willow, in other words. Yeah,
1: he was supposed to be Willow,
2: Uh, yeah. But at that
1: time, you know, Warwick Davis was like seven, seven. yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Um, but they couldn't get Billy Barty. He was already contracted to something else. I think he hadn't passed away yet, but he was already busy with something else. He couldn't make it, so they hired David Batley, a very, very funny English actor. But he's like 5'10", 5'9", and so he's all talking about being short of stature, tall, and power, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's the whole speech written for a little person. He still sold it, in my opinion. I thought he did a fantastic job. Couple of really fast fan theories. Fan theory number one: Ergo is one of the hill people. What if the hill people are really tall, like Rel the Cyclops, mm. right? What if, what if he is short for a hill person? Hill giant. Hill giant. Uh, and then second uh, is the the mode of his magic. What if he's not a bumbling magician? What if that's just the way hill people magic works all the time? Sort of like drunken style and kung fu. Yeah. Yeah. But Ergo, through the power of his own hubris, believes that he can target others with his magic. It ends up that hill people magic is only intrinsic. You can only target yourself. That's why they have no power to do harm, even though they can turn into tigers.
3: You can see what I would have done if I'd be a vengeful man.
1: (laughs) I love that line. Matai, what character would you be if you could be any character in Kroll?
2: Well, you know, Lissa. Lisa, that's a great choice. Go ahead. Uh, no, uh, Rel the Cyclops.
1: Rel the Cyclops. Yeah. His or, name is Rel.
2: Or, Almost no
1: one realizes that. Go on.
2: Or Quell, if you play the card game.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the Parker Brothers board get, like line of games for Kroll all say Quell, Q-U-E-L-L. The credits for the movie says Cyclops. Yeah. They say his name three times in the movie. <laughs> he actually has a name. He has a name. Yeah. All right, go no, ahead, Rel. I,
2: I, I love Rel because he's one of these quiet, dignified people. He's got this nobility to him and uh, willing to sacrifice himself for his friends.
3: Also, i got to say, for a guy with no depth perception, dead shot. Right? Wow. Right,
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, did, did you hear that they uh, were going to add two Cyclops brothers to the movie?
0: No, I didn't hear that.
2: Yeah, neither have I. Oh, Matthew.
0: <laughs> oh, Matthew. <gasps> oh. my gosh. I thought we cleared those out at the beginning <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Uh he oh, Uh-oh. Matai.
2: <laughs> if you don't cut it with the dad jokes, you're gonna end up in the penitentiary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is Matai's daughter, everyone. Ouch, uh, Daniel. If you, you could were be...
0: burned by your own sibl er, child, <laughs> who do you
1: think taught her the,
0: the dark magics? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Torquil, I love that character. Oh, I love Torquil. Um, I mean, not. Only the fact because I'm the fearless leader of this band. And he's the fearless leader of his own band. But, you know, there's just something about this character. You first meet him and you think, like, this is the scum of the world. He's, you know, and they've they've ran off because of this situation. But you find out he's got a lot of morals and values. Yes, He really cares about each of those individuals that he have does. come into his band and he watches out for him i mean so much so that you know and i love his little things you know the only person that has that key is the king and the lord marshal and then he ends up being the lord marshal right. which, which is, is amazing a wonderful character but it shows his character yeah you know, because at the end of everything I and mean, decides hey this is the person that should have this key absolutely because he could have just freedom and left
3: you heard him now, we're now an army. <laughs> yes. An unpaid army. <laughs> what was that rune? Can't a man even think talk to himself without being interrupted. <laughs> I have that. No. Um, all right, so uh <laughs>
1: yeah, we're Torquil getting off what, track. I, what I love about Torquil is that he is he he is a, a surprising intellectual. He's a yes, philosopher. Yes. He he is a ban- he's he's fallen on hard times, he's a very skilled bandit, he's a thief. But, you're right, he defines honor among thieves.
3: I think the term now is entrepreneur. That's what the kids <laughs> oh, say. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: He's a content creator. He has something called an Only Friends. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, anyway.
0: There so is something about that ca- him as a character. I mean, you'd have to think that at some point he was you know, more than just a peasant. He was <laughs> more than a, a, you know, he was probably some type of lord. Yes. But the, he Fair fell middle, on hard times it. and just... You know, it's kind of like the Joker story. He had a bad day, and yeah. things just went horribly south. And he's in the position he's in, but he's found a way to kind of help other people. Absolutely. Despite his lowly station at that point.
1: But you but discover through the movie that he's an educated
0: person. Oh, yeah. And he's a thinker.
3: And, and he, also has, like, he also has humility. Mm-hmm. All the way through, he keeps the cuffs. He will not yeah. take them off.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and it, if we're keeping... Because they kind of modeled after, you know, medie- medieval times... Mm to be an educated person you had to have money. Yeah. You had to have sure. some sort of station. So that's where it kind of lends to that.
1: And I have fan theories about that. But the point is, yes. No, uh, all right. So uh, those are excellent. Uh any the point any is, any Krebs fans really uh, this. if you could be any character in the movie, who would who would be Colin? <laughs> because you get the glaive, right? No, I,
0: I, No, <laughs> it's the same like,
2: pants.
1: Can I it's can, I, can I be the glaive? Can I, is that a yeah. thing?
2: That, that's <laughs> why I would uh, that's why I pick Rel over Colin. Oh my Colin. gosh,
0: she's got the pants. <laughs>
2: one, one reason why I would also be Colwyn is my name is already super similar it's Corbin oh hey that's an easy one to nice transition nice to meet into. you Corbin
1: yeah so is your
0: last name Turold? no just checking <laughs> multi-pass no it's Steve <laughs> <laughs> his name is Steve it's on his shirt
1: so in the, in the attitude of did you know when Kroll dropped in 1983, it had a budget, uh, I'm sorry, when they were filming it in 81, they had a budget of around $40 million. And million. I'll be honest with you, if you do the research on this, you will see quite a range of what people think the budget is. But I grabbed that number from, from Nick Maley, who was the special effects artist that I was talking about earlier, about you know, with the Slayers and everything. He said that he was excited to be part of a $40 million budget movie and yada, yada, yada. Uh, it grossed about 16.9. Mm. Kroll did not do great. Keep this in mind, 1983, no internets, right? To find out what mov- time your movie started, you went to the newspaper, to the listings for the theaters, find the theater in your area,
2: find the time slot, yada, yada, all that jazz, right? Or you could call the theater on your rotary dial you phone. You could call them on the phone,
1: as long as it wasn't long distance.
2: Listen to the recording.
1: And then you could, yeah, you could do that, right? Uh, but, but word of mouth, television advertisements the trailer itself, all that stuff is what they're depending on to make some money. It's It's made in the UK. It's being released in the West primarily, but also in the UK, of course. If you're, if you're lucky, a radio station in your area will do a spot on it. Or even like a, a, a contest for tickets and things like that, right? Yes. Um, it grossed 16.9. At this time, remember in May, Return of the Jedi dropped. And this is this is the movie that follows. Remember, the previous movie, three years prior, ended with I am your father, right? And then, you know, we give Luke a hand, and then he, you know, puts his arm around what, who, Princess Leia, not yet his sister to anyone's knowledge, <laughs> right? And then, and then they go their separate ways. Like, that was an incredibly impactful ending to the second act of Star Wars. Then the third act drops. You better believe everyone was there. It's the first movie I can remember seeing all the way through in theaters as a kid. That was in May. This drops in July. Guess what was still in theaters in July? Guess, and guess who was still pulling in box office receipts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This movie was, uh, we're going to talk about this in just a second, but the point is.
0: Well, I it, mean, beyond that, I mean, it was still very early on in the summer blockbuster theme. I mean, there were, it was in the heart of it, right? Like it was well, right in the middle. Well, it was, it was starting up because uh, before that summer was the time you sent movies to die. And it wasn't until Jaws came out in 75 that people were like, oh my gosh, we need to do movies in the summer. We can actually bank on this. So it was still, I mean, eight years in, it was still fairly early. It wasn't until the 90s. It wasn't until the 90s when the summer blockbusters were solid. Yeah. So it was still fairly early because it was coming off of the end of May going into June. And again, we
1: saw it in a double feature, which was a tactic that films and theaters would use to get you to come see movies you probably wouldn't otherwise <laughs> see because it was coupled with something else yeah everyone is
0: going to strange brew
1: everyone was going to strange <laughs> brew it was you guys don't know what it is now for you know i'm sorry i shouldn't assume that anyone under the age of 30 does not know what that is now but it was all the rage um now in now i went through found some actuary tables did the math and everything and with a and it's really really basic but with a factor of one to three point two four five as a inflation conversion rate. What that equates to in today's dollars is that they made Kroll for roughly uh, 129.8 mil, about 130 mil, and it brought home 50, less than 55. That's how that converts into today's dollars. Now, here's the funny thing. You would never be able to make a blockbuster movie on 120, uh, 130 million dollars today, right? But that's how the dollars translate into today's dollars. Now, let me ask you this question then. Why did Kroll fail? What was wrong with it or why did it, I mean we already talked about how it was up against Return of the Jedi, sure, but why did it fail?
3: Um, It might be that like there's a thing in storytelling where you don't tell everything and then audiences will fill those spaces in. I think Kroll did that, but no one knew what to do with it. It's like Mm. they rule two kingdoms on a a backward planet. Their son rules the galaxy. That's quite the jump. I've read a lot of of, uh, Jared Diamond. I'm not sure how civilization makes that leap. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a good point, that's a good point. in fact that's actually been a common criticism is that they'll introduce something or they'll they'll announce some hook and then they just don't do anything else with it. they just don't explore it right Mattai, why do you think what do you, what do you think hit crawl right in the prophets
2: uh, you know, I really don't know because uh, it's a fantastic movie. it's flawless. no, I'm just kidding I um, agree. The, the story behind it is fantastic um, the implementation, the movie itself, I think, is open to subjective interpretation uh, of whether they like it or not. Um, but um, I don't, you know, I, I would have to probably say marketing uh, had a lot to do with it because it was just in order to see it, we had to go see the McKenzie brothers first. Mm. It's like you got to <laughs> eat your vegetables before you get your
1: dessert. That's so true, though. You have to drink your beer before you can get your glaive. <laughs>
0: you know, you got to get, get the bottle with the mouse in it to get the free bo- <laughs> bottles of beer. Right, right, right. And then say a boot. Um,
3: a boot. Uh, oh, nice going, you knob. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: honestly, probably what factors the most into all of this is the fact that it was probably a marketing failure on them because they didn't know how to market it because, like you said, it changed so much. You know, Originally, yeah. it was a high fantasy. Then they threw some sci-fi in there. It was the Dragons of Kroll. They probably had to do last-minute printing and stuff like that. So there was probably a small window that it was put out. It was also the time they didn't really do uh, previews at the beginning of movies. Mm. So there wasn't a way to push that out for people to know about it. And the only way to get anything out was word of mouth. I mean, even Star Wars, they had to do a print ad in in the Mm -hmm. newspaper to get people to do it. And then the word of mouth just it was a wildfire after that. Absolutely. Uh, there there, are, wasn't there are,
3: that. yeah, there are a lot of movies, fantastic movies that died because of bad marketing. <laughs> um another one that strikes me is suffered that fate was uh, Buckaroo Banzai.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean even TV series. I mean Firefly anyone? I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not, know. not over that yet. I mean, too Fox soon Daniel, too soon. <laughs> blo- they messed that up. They ruined it. So if you don't have the right marketing, you don't have the right word of mouth, and the time frame this came out, the end of May, I think it was fairly doomed, because if they had pushed it, let's say, even to October, you know, when Return of the Jedi had run its course, because it was there till July, mm-hmm. I think it may have had a little bit more success. It probably wouldn't have si- hit.
3: Well, Oct- October's actually a pretty good month, because yeah. you do have a horror element with the Slayers. Yeah, the fact did. that their brain crawled out of their body to escape. Yeah. That's a horror element. It's hard to and duplicate. And the Beast.
0: You know, there's a lot of creepy things. They could have probably pulled it off, and it would have maybe done better, but the best thing is it's surviving because now it's a cult classic.
1: Yeah, I, I would take that over, you know, uh, anonymity any day mm. for this film, right? Um, yeah, interestingly, Kroll has this history with media that sucks. <laughs> it sucks so bad. I, in fact, um, the trailer, the only trailer I've ever been able to find, it's on the DVD, it's on YouTube, it's on the, you know, it's the only one I can find, is one of the most underserving, horrible, and mediocre, it's, it, it is a, a wretched excuse for a trailer in general. It's like someone was like, hey, I'm the intern. And they're like, great, we need you to build a trailer for a movie. <laughs> and he thought it was just a school project, right? Uh, it was not. And the trailer was awful. Also, I'm sure you guys already knew this, but Lissette Anthony, who plays Lissa, her entire dialogue was replaced by American actress Lindsay Krause. She's she's dubbed over in the entire movie, right? The, the Everybody d-
2: on the cast is British except for, for Ken Cole Marshall. And Ken mm-hmm. Marshall, uh, and they thought, well, an American audience isn't going to like a British accent. Like, Which
3: like how Lord of the Rings people? I mean, the animated version, I, right? Like they. It was
1: it was a weird move, especially because everyone on the production team was British. The director was British, right? Like David Yates. I don't know why they went that route,
3: but you you could look back two years to Dragon Slayer, and nearly all the actors oh yeah. are British. And Americans at that time were thinking high fantasy; they would hear British in their head. Yeah,
1: yeah, every time, right? But in addition to that, all the print media, as as Mr. Steiner pointed out earlier the print media was really one of the biggest levers that new, media, or new movies had to get people to be interested, right? This is the original headline from the article, the review article, that came out on the day of release from the New York Times. It says, Kroll, adventure with magic and a beast. And then the author goes on to say, uh, it also has an enchanted movable mountain and a little golden gizmo. It is a five-pronged bejeweled gadget that looks like a kitchen utensil with talons.
3: No, Cuisinart's a good, fearsome name. I'll go with it. That's right, right. (laughs) At the
1: very end of the article, which was not a flattering article for Crawl, it talks about who's in the movie, or, or a little bit about the movie itself. It gives the author's name, Janet Maslin, and then it's the alternative title for the article, Quest for a Gizmo. This is how the media has always seen Kroll, and it is a travesty, and it, is, uh, it does a disservice to an otherwise incredibly original and incredible film, a film that has so many opportunities for story hooks. I am both excited and a little peeved that Warner Brothers just announced that you know, they've greenlit a remake with J.J. Abrams, because I want in on so, that. So
0: when you were reading that, that, that title, yeah, I just wanted to have the song, Tell as Old as Time. <laughs> <laughs> Just playing in the background as you're going through that. Ah, Because, yeah, I mean, a beast. Well,
3: the fact they're announcing a reboot now, and I have not had the opportunity to run background checks on these people to let them know that they're hardened fans (laughs) and not monetizing nostalgia.
0: Unfortunately, it's J.J. Abrams, so it's screwed.
3: No, 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 no. I will argue with you on that one. It could go either way. You could also have the risk of being Michael Bay and a lot of more explosions. Okay, I'd rather go go J.J. Abrams than Michael Bay. I'd rather J.J. on that one.
1: So in the time that we have remaining, Daniel, so <laughs> let's talk about hopefulness here. Here's a, here's a question. I want you to think about this. What moder- what popular film, I don't care if it's modern, I don't care if it's 40 years old, whatever. What popular
3: film do you think Kroll is better than? Oh, what an interesting take. Um, I still kind of put Dragon Slayer above it by just a hair. Um, Dragon Slayer is special. Yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely um, I probably would rate it above Rain of Fire though, <coughs> and Rain of Fire is one I that I wish I had Reign written. Yeah, I wish I had written that because that's the kind of way attack of. Like I'm a total detail freak in my writing, and I have to be learn how to trip things, clip things out. But yeah, I like this. But I think I would give it a mark above Rain of Fire just for originality and performance. I think. I love Rain of Fire. That is that is a good comparison
1: though. I like that. Matai?
2: Yeah, I'd put it above Rings of Power. <laughs> the Amazon one. I mean, it had some good parts in it, and we have thought about if this is to be remade, would we do it as a miniseries, like similar to Rings of Power, or do it as a movie? And uh, so, yeah, that's what comes to mind for me, and I think that we could do Crow better than they did with uh, that property. Crowell on it. Netflix.
5: Can
0: I just throw a random me. one out there from 85? Do it. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh,
2: easily hurdled. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean,
0: that's an easy hurdle.
2: And, I, and it's I'm got one half of the McKenzie brothers in it, too. So.
0: I know.
1: Well, I'm over here wondering, like, I'm trying to decide if that's a high bar or a low bar. And I'm happy oh, that's a really, really low bar. Oh, you know what? It's about as low as the basement of the Alamo, right? Yes, yes, All right. it is. All
0: right. uh, that's deal. why I wanted good you good. to get to that reference. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, so the problem is, okay, a uh, 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 serious answer, Howard the Duck. Oh. It is do much you, better than Do you than consider
1: Howard the Duck a popular
0: film? Uh, <laughs> it's one of the first Marvel films ever made and by George Lucas because he needed money to finish uh-huh. Return of the Jedi yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: yeah but George Lucas doesn't look back on that and go like hey now that I have enough money I think I want to make a special edition about this that has the special effects I always wanted to have and change everyone's sense of nostalgia and ruin people's childhood
0: well it's because he doesn't want to think about it because of duck boobs
1: uh, there is that you got to be careful with duck <laughs> right, boobs right right uh, for me personally, and, th- and this is my hot take, here's my controversial statement for some people, I think Kroll is far and above better than either or both of the James Cameron Avatar films. Whoa, wow. wow, <laughs> Bold, bold move. I think it is a more original story. That's true. I think true. it's a better story. I think it is better executed given, given the lens of time. I think it is a better executed film. I think they had to overcome more. I think that they worked with what they had. I realize they didn't innovate as much as James Cameron did. James Cameron did a fan, and his team, his mm-hmm. team did a fantastic job of innovation in terms of filmmaking. But I think they accomplished something against all odds in a way that was better and has better hooks <coughs> for a sequel mm. than either of the giant blue people avatar films. I think those films <coughs> are actually really weak, Unoriginal storytelling, disguised in technology. Well, right. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly
0: fair. my point. I was going to bring up is this film has practical effects with a little bit of CGI, mm-hmm. but Avatar way banks on that. So I'd have to agree with you on
3: that. One. I mean, I'm like I'm, I'm my, my degrees in biology, so when I saw this alien ecology in Avatar done to the point where biologists could praise it and enjoy that, and still love the technology ideas, but then admit, yeah, they used all these lesser details and got those down fine so that the larger story could just kind of slip and slide. And even with one of the most epic villains in Avatar, Colonel Quaritch, uh, Stephen Lang described his character as take a hero, all the attributes of a hero, remove one. That's your villain. And he says, in his character, you slip out humility, and that's how you get Colonel Quaritch. And I'm like, wow.
2: I got just one last comment to make here. Uh, Krebs, you and I have uh, auditioned and made role, uh, been in roles and shows and plays and stuff, and you know that it's bad luck to wish good luck to an actor. <laughs> Do you know why they always say break a leg? Why is that? Because actors always want to be in a cast. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew.
3: Boo. Uh, come collect your father,
0: please. <laughs> yes, please take him away.
1: Folks, thank you so very kindly for being here. We are Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Crawl is incredible, and you are awesome. Thank you. Have a great time at Fanex.
0: You can catch us at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com or DCRShow.com. Either way. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.